Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. This is Connor here. I wanted to give you a quick heads up and forewarn you that the audio in this episode is a little rough. Uh, this podcast is super awesome, though. We've got myself, we've got AJ, Brittany Arneson, and Brian Malali on this podcast. We're on the ground uh, talking about the storage market, storage deals that we're looking at. We're giving this super in-depth walkthrough of everything we've got going on and uh, everything that we're doing currently. Uh, it's real time, all this stuff, super interesting episode, but again, the audio is not the best. <laughs> this was a uh, uh, impromptu uh, episode that we wanted to record for you guys. We thought it'd be a super cool idea to be able to share this experience of being on the ground, looking at these deals, looking at the market as we're living it, going through it, what we're looking at so it's fresh, so it's ready to go for you guys, and we're not skipping over anything. We're not skimming things. It's right there in the moment, in your face, good to go. Uh, with that said, uh, I wanted to get you guys uh, heads up on that and uh, also wanted to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Janice and Live Oak. Janice International, we've been working with them for a long time, years and years and years on all of our projects, whether that's acquisitions, whether that's new builds and developments. Uh, we're looking at uh, improving facilities and building amazing facilities wherever we go. And Janus International is a huge part of that. Be sure to check out the show notes and go look at all of the awesome solutions they've got over there as far as their no-key, their R3 program that helps rehabilitate uh, older facilities and bring them up to new standards. Go check them out. Links in the show notes. Live Oak Bank is up next here. Live Oak, again, Again, we've been partners with these guys or we've utilized their services for years and years and years. A phenomenal bank, phenomenal people over there. They know and understand the storage asset. They do incredible work. And if you've listened to the Self Storage Income podcast for very long or last few episodes at least, uh, you'll know just from the, uh, the testimonies of the podcast guests that we have on where, you know, we're just talking about, you know, okay, you've got these facilities, how did you fund them? And then they're like, oh, well, Live Oak Bank, you know, I talked to Terry and, you know, he came out, hooked us up, we did this, we did that. And they go through these lists of all these amazing things that Live Oak does to go above and beyond uh, to serve their clientele and to make sure that they're giving you guys the best and possible, most best possible solutions as far as financing, funding your self-storage facilities, your acquisitions, uh, whether that's SBA loans or otherwise, they've got amazing SBA programs. Go check those out. Get in touch with Terry. Uh, we actually have an episode coming up with Terry here soon, so you guys will have to check that out. Stay tuned. But with that, let's jump into the episode. You guys can check out all those links in the show notes. And with that said, we'll let you guys get to it. All right. Welcome to the AJ Osborne Podcast. You're probably noticing a difference in video quality right now. So audio, audio quality. That too, yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's, let's kind of walk you through here what's going on. We've had a full day here. We're looking at deals. We've been on the road. We have a bunch of deals under contract. We thought we would make a podcast and discuss at the end of the day here after looking at deals we have under contract, deals we're trying to put under contract, just kind of talk about the day, give you kind of a inside look at our thoughts, what we've been doing through our due diligence process, everything that's been going on. I think that's fair to say. What do you think? So it's going to be great. Yep. Uh, I have how many? There's four of us here. So guys, why don't you introduce yourselves and we can kind of go go through that first, so everybody knows 
who's talking. All right, so you got uh, Connor hanging out here. Um... Just getting things done, getting things done. It's uh, It's been awesome, and uh, this little impromptu uh, podcast is going to be cool to kind of run through some of the things that we're doing with you guys and uh, give you a little insight. Uh, I know some of you guys know me from Self Storage Income, and I've made an appearance here and there on the AJ podcast, so uh, I'm not going to bore you with who I am and what I do. I'll let uh, Brian and uh, Brittany jump in here. What's up, guys? It's Brian here. Uh VP of Acquisitions for Cedar Creek Wealth, hanging out with Connor, AJ, day in, day out, hunting for deals. That's what I do. That's right. Hey, it's Brittany Arneson, or Investor Girl Britt, if you follow me on Instagram. And I've had a great few days out here. And it's been really fun just recording a lot of behind-the-scenes content, and that's what this podcast is really going to show you guys kind of the day in the life of actually what we do this is the reality so for sure for sure because what what did we say we looked at how many facilities we've looked at eight or nine or however like, yeah. at least yeah i mean property walk through at least eight and then drive-bys see the shopping so that was fun it's been a jam-packed week yeah. here and really when we're this is I, this is actually really productive. In fact, it may not be so normal from a standpoint that we could get so much done on one trip because lots of times the assets aren't all in one spot like they are here, um, which has been very useful. So when I look at what we've been doing the last couple of days, it's been really productive because we had so many opportunities to look at deals under contract and potential deals in a very short period of time. Which is really nice. It's not we're not flying to eight different cities to look at eight different deals, um, and it, that was actually part of our strategy in this market. Coming to this market, we had a, a large lineup of deals that we wanted to acquire, um, and we wanted to break into the market, make a really big splash, and uh, find some good opportunities. It's a unique strategy in this market because this is a market that's not very clear. Um, because there's a big differentiator in performance of the assets in the market, but that's actually where we find the opportunity. The reason being is those, the really good operators perform way, way better. And there's a lot of poor operators in this market. So knowing that we have this great operation, we have the ability to, um, really beat out the competition that creates a competitive uh, advantage for our organization, and that really drew us to this market. Um, one of the things that I think is interesting, and I'll have you guys kind of talk about too, the first assets we bought, like, uh, anybody that knows, we, we do a value-add strategy. That comes in two components. That comes through the actual physical side of the assets, but then a lot of it has to do with the back-end operation. It just depends on what needs to be done. This trip, I think all the assets were in beyond excellent condition. There wasn't any major repairs and things that needed to be done. Connor was very grateful for that because yes. the first two wasn't like that at all. So, kind of what I, I wanted to kind of touch on is that, that aspect of like the the – amazing pocket of a market that we found here where you're talking about these different assets we're looking at and operationally there's not a bunch of, of good managing 
you know, facilities that are operating and functioning well. Uh, and that's really most all it is. And you've got the product types are pretty much the same across the board where you just have, for whatever reason, these owner operators that just haven't raised rates in eight to 20 years or whatever it is. And they have the same or better product type than somebody across town or down the road that's charging double what they're charging. Um, it's, it's just an amazing, amazing uh, market that we're looking at. And there is this huge discrepancy in rates. And it's been uh, it's very uh, fragmented in, in the fact that there's not a whole lot of I mean, there's not I, I haven't just seen a REIT. Well, saw extra space today. Uh, and that was it. I mean, there's not a whole lot of REIT presence here, uh, which is just amazing because you would think a market like this would just be bought up like crazy. And uh, it will be soon. That's right. <laughs> it will be soon. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Um, so, no, it's it's an amazing, uh, amazing market for sure. Yeah, and it's a, it's a good way to scale, too. Um, you, you identify a market that you believe in, you like the fundamentals, and then – you just go to work and on the acquisition side, the deal side, once we decided, hey, we like this market, it makes sense for us, we're gonna start buying some assets. That's when you just turn on and go full bore and then you're reaching out to sellers directly, you're networking with brokers, you're telling everyone in your network, hey, I'm doing deals in this area, do you know anybody? And then it makes this trip even more successful because everyone knows we're here, they're throwing deals at us, and we were just jam-packed from start to finish of deals. You know, and that goes it goes really to a lot when we talk to new people getting into storage commercial assets, anything. It's to be hyper-focused on what you want and then let everybody know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, they're not even sure how to find deals. They're not sure how to get deals. They don't even know where to start. Like, well, you start by identifying, but then you talk to everybody you can about it. Um, it's People can't give you something that they don't know that you want. Define the DS. Yeah. And you have to be clear about your action steps to move forward. And then once you do that, now people will start to discuss. They'll start talking, oh, I know so-and-so that has one of those. Oh, you're looking at that? Hey, have you looked at this city? Um, hey, I know a broker that has one of these or brokers may reach out. I saw you're looking for this, you know, so it's really getting your getting that word out um, and letting people know what you're doing, what you're accomplishing. And it just kind of snowballs. Mm-hmm. And the more you get known, the more you start developing track records, it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then it's easy for you to close on deals. It's easier for you to find deals because you right deals, underwrite deals. You're specific. You know what you're looking for. You, then it gets even better on the underwriting side. You know the value. You know how to turn it around. Uh, it becomes almost second nature, and that allows you to clear through deals that don't fit your strategy very quickly and identify the ones that do and then be confident in moving forward. And so it's this idea that you're focused, that you don't have to have all the answers. That's not at all what we're saying. Are you going to go after something that's 90,000 square feet? Are you going after something that's 2,000 square feet? Is it office buildings? Is it apartments? Is it value add? Is it run down? How are you going to improve it? it you know, it's, it's really just figuring out, hey, 
I may not have a whole company behind me, so I need a third-party manager. Okay, who's that going to be? I should go talk to them. I want small deals and third-tier markets where I feel that I can get in and maybe have an advantage. Okay, now we've nailed down operations. We've also nailed down size and location. All right? Get moving. Right? And you now have – you've identified the market. You've identified the asset, its size, what you want. Go talk to brokers. Go start talking to people. Identify cities that you want to be in. And you've already have a management company that you can execute on that when you get it. So it's really about just figuring out a clear and simple way. Yet I'm not talking about all the details. I didn't say you knew about financing. I didn't say you knew exactly what made value. No, that you figure out, but you can't figure it out unless you're looking at deals. You got to get out there and start looking. When we first went from small facilities to big facilities, I remember our first large one that we bought, and it was intimidating. It's not the right word. It was like, went down there, and I just remember going, holy cow, is there value here? Is this going to be a good deal? It was very nerve-wracking because there was just so much that I didn't know. It was a new. It was totally different than anything we'd done. It was still, your, yeah, you may say it's self-storage, but trust me. 10,000 square feet compared to 80,000 square feet was not the same to me in a big market versus a small market. And the, you're talking the difference of a few hundred thousand dollars to millions. It was a, it was a really big deal. Um, but that's okay. That's how it worked. Then we got that one done. Some of our assumptions proved out right. And it just starts snowballing and working from there. At what point did you feel comfortable to make that jump then that you're just like, okay, we're doing it. It wasn't that I was comfortable. It's new, It's that we knew that's what needed to happen. So a lot of people are like, oh, I'm not ready. And I, it's always interesting to me because I'm like, yeah, but do you know you need to do it? And if they're like, yeah, I need to do this to change my life. Yes, I need to do this to accomplish my goals. Yes, I need to do that. Then who cares if you're ready? Do it. And so for us, what we were doing wasn't working, nor was it going to work. And so we knew we had to make a change. So we went out to get the thing that we knew we had to do to make it work. We had to increase size and market. Our other strategy wasn't playing out like we thought it was. And so we had to adjust. We had to change. So whether we were ready or not, we're not going to keep doing what I know isn't going to play out. It wasn't going to work to how we wanted to do it. So we just bit the bullet and went out and took little knowledge we knew. We covered the basics. It cash flowed. It was it was good. We thought, hey, we could probably improve some things here. And we bought it. And a year later, somebody opened up a big storage facility across town, not across town, like literally three miles away. And the occupancy kind of stagnated. And so did the rate increases. But it didn't fail. Mm -hmm. And we're like, oh, OK. Hey, we're learning here and everything. So that first big one that we went into was not even close to perfect. I never looked to see if anyone was building. It was already under construction. I didn't even know it. I didn't thought about that. Yeah. And I didn't think about how new supply would affect us. And it probably destroyed two years or three years worth of any upside. But we'd done the basics so we were protected. And so it's still it cash flow made us good money. It was a and good now, deal. And now and what do you now do? Now it's like crazy. And now what do you do on every single deal? You look yep. at existing. And yeah. who's building? Yeah. Who's building yeah. in this yeah. market? Yeah. Yeah. People building. For sure. But it's all things that you learn along the way. So when yeah. you're out there 
looking at deals, even if they're deals that might not necessarily be ending up buying or even having it work out. The fact that you're out there touring it, talking to the sellers, getting more comfortable with that, figuring out what questions to be asking, figuring out what reports you need to be looking for. Um, that's all part of the process. And then it just helps you along the way. And that way, when that deal comes, that fits your buy window, fits your criteria, you're ready to strike and you have the ability to take that action to take on those new properties. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We really lot relied too on that first deal on the broker. We relied on some other people because we didn't have that knowledge. Um, we had a knowledge of what we were doing, where we were going, how we wanted to do things. But as far as like execution or the knowledge of it, if it would turn out right or not, I mean, I spent way too much time with the, the broker. Like we, we, our first meeting, we spent like two hours. We were in the same framework of the opportunity, where the industry was going, all that kind of stuff, right? So the big picture stuff, I'm like, you're right in line with me. So now help me execute on it. And so he went and found one. He said, hey, I think this is going to do really well. I think it'll follow, you know, everything we're talking about. Um, and so from there, we really worked with him and trying to understand that value. But we leaned a lot on other people because we didn't have it. And that's fine. That's the point, right? You don't know. Then after that, okay, we figured out more. And it, it, it kind of works out. But you don't need to know everything. I think one of the things that I keep thinking about as you're talking about all this is like whether it's finding the deal, going through deals, funding, um, raising money, finding people to help manage or managing it yourself. Like there's there's not a finish line ever. Yes. It's just you're you're just doing it like yes. that that is investing. And it's it's like this is a lifestyle and it's just what you're going to do day to day. You're just going to solve problems again, whether it's finding deals, funding them running them, um, you know, putting yourself in a position to compete in the marketplace. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not like, Oh, you get a deal and then you're done and you're yeah. making yeah. tons of money. No, it's not <laughs> how it works. no. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of what I thought AJ, when I would look at you when I was first starting out, I look at someone like you thinking you never had a problem. You just knew what to do all the time. And there's just no questions. It was just like, you know, everything was shoot. I should have just said, you know, I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> it did everything. I was like, uh, yeah. literally. Now just, I'm on the inside. Yeah. They have no idea. Yeah. No one knows what they're doing. <laughs> no one no has any clue. Well, I mean, just. It, but it's the same from the beginning. And yeah. You, it just always is that way. So you just have to get really good at problem solving. For sure. Well, and just, I mean, we were talking to one of our, our contacts here in the area today about how, I mean, just a year ago, we are talking to fund managers and things like that and realizing, you know, like, well, how are we going to actually raise money and in what way um, are we going to do that? So it just makes it all the more important to, to realize that you're not going to know everything and you don't need to know everything and you just have to figure it out as you go because nobody has all the answers. We didn't have all the answers. We're sitting here talking to fund managers, trying to figure it out and come to find out that we didn't want to do that. And so we changed it up and now we're doing something else. Yeah, it, 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 it really is almost 
more about identifying the things that you don't want than you do. Because what you're trying to do is eliminate options to identify opportunities. Because when you're starting out, those opportunities may not be very clear. So there's lots of no's. There's lots of, I mean, you know, hindsight's 2020. You look back, but I never knew that storage would really play out. Of course, I, of course, I think that I did. We did. There was, I always had multiple things going. I didn't know. Looking back, I should have just dropped everything that I was doing and only did that the entire time. I'd be 10 times far, farther ahead. And that's a testament to show I had no idea. And it was about going through doing these activities and saying, I'm not good at this. I don't want to do this. I need to lean into this. And the opportunities start to come in front of you. Now, whether you take that leap, not knowing and actually execute on them, that's a totally different subject, right? But it's easier for most people to say, these are the things I don't want to do, right? So for us, I did not want to give up control. And when me and Connor met with these big fund managers who I was like, this is incredible. They're sitting there going, yeah, we want to give you like $300 million. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And they're like, but you don't get sole control if we're taking over. Like we have to have control too. And I'm like, well, that doesn't work because you don't know anything about storage. Why in the world would I want you be make, to be making real decisions on an assets operation that you've never done and don't understand. Like, uh, that's not a good partner to have, <laughs> especially one that has you by the neck. And so all of a sudden, you know, me and Connor are like, this isn't going to work. It's, we don't fit in with their style. We don't fit in with their, we need to be able to move, um, which turned out to be the right decision. Obviously we needed the ability to move and our skill set, and it would have slowed us down. It would have hindered us from gr uh, growing it would have stopped our performance. Oh yeah. I mean, just, just the management aspect alone, like, I, I don't know how many phone calls and emails back and forth and meetings we had with just a single fund. I mean, it was just, it was insane. Yeah. The management aspect to it. It was like, there's just, there's no alignment. There's no way this is going to work. It's not going to be what we thought it would be initially just thinking about it. It was almost like we had to be something or some, somebody we weren't. And that doesn't work. Um, but once again, it was we had to figure that out. And we wasted a ton of time, yeah. like multiple times. This was a long period of time. And then at the end, it was like, well, I guess we're just not going to take money. Because I'm like, I guess I can't invest with other people's money. Because I, I didn't know. It sounds silly, but we had a $150 million portfolio, and I didn't know how to use other people's money. Right? That sounds ridiculous even saying it out. But it's true. I just used the bank and us. And we compounded our money. We grew it. We reinvested it. And it took a long time. <laughs> so, and it took working multiple jobs with me and my partners. Um, today, if, you know, hindsight's 2020, I could build $150 million starting from nothing today in one year. Easily. Um, but the process doesn't work like that. We had to figure out all the things that we didn't know. But during that process, I think really for us, what it actually did is it refined the things we were good at. So without that process, like, so that going that process, not being able to let, take other people's money, 
not being able to leverage. That meant we didn't get fees. We didn't get anything. And our assets had to produce an income that not only made a profit, then it had to pay our management company because we didn't have a third party management. So I had to hire people. So if you know anything about that, it's, you know, if you're hiring a third party management company, they're going to take a percentage of the gross revenue. We didn't have any in our areas that would work. That nobody did it. It didn't even exist. So that meant we had to then build a management company. That meant I had to hire people. So let's say I hire two people. Well, it, that they have to get paid regardless of what happens in the asset. So normally you just pay 6%, but because I didn't have anybody to do that, I had to build it from scratch. That meant we went negative and I was paying out of my pocket for years out of the assets. It also meant that our criteria for assets was really high. They had to make a ton of money. So that then in turn, we said, now we have to have our management company that can produce those kinds of yields. So although I say, oh, if I wish I would have known, I wish I, we would not be anywhere close to the operators we are today if we could just take in other people's money, because then we would have gotten paid by placing capital. But instead, we got paid by turning storage facilities into cash cows. And now we apply that, and now money wants to come to us for it. So the whole process you go through, you always look at the end and you see, oh, you know, that's so easy. We're down here looking at 500 plus thousand square feet that we're going to try to get. And it doesn't even bother me. I'll never even lose a week of sleep. We know exactly what we want. We know exactly how to perform. We have a team that will be actionable. And but that is not how it starts at all, not even remotely close. Um, and I, I think that's just really important for people to have that perspective and understand as you're going, finding things that you don't like is really good and try to try to explore as much as you can. So when we're out, even today, we're out looking around, oh, there, here's a car wash on the front of this facility. Do we want this or do we not want this? I've never owned a car wash. We don't have it. <laughs> right. So it's like, well, we're getting it no matter what. Should we keep this? Should we scrap this? Easy question. Does it make money? <laughs> so it's like, you know, these, we always are going to find this stuff that you may not know. It may be an opportunity. Maybe, you know, maybe we analyze it and maybe this is a huge opportunity. Oh, my gosh. And in 10 years, I'm going to be like, guys, I own a thousand car washes. That's not going to happen. But, <laughs> uh, the point being is um, you don't know yeah. until you go and, and check it out. For sure. For sure. No, we looked at some really incredible assets today. Again, some of them have some opportunity, you know, whether it is getting rid of a car wash and maximizing the usable space or, you know, acquiring land that's adjacent to the facilities and um, doing expansions, um, just figuring out ways, you know, opportunities, constraints to make things better, to, um, to uh, get aligned these facilities with the market. Uh, again, we saw a number of facilities today that only are going to require operational turnaround and administrative turnaround, which is amazing. That's it's just absolutely incredible to go in. And uh, these are far below replacement cost. You know, um, it's just market rates. Yeah, it's just amazing, amazing. This little pocket we're in, a lot of really great potential. And again, consolidating all of these things into this one region, this one area. It makes so much sense on 
the due diligence side. It makes so much sense on the operations side. Uh, it just is a huge win-win and overall strategy for us and, and everything. We're super excited about it. So why don't, why don't we talk about it too? Brian, why don't you talk to him about like how you, so Brian's been here before we got here. He came out a couple days before then Britt came out and met him. They went to multiple cities. We're looking at deals. Um, me and Connor were off. I was in Vegas. He was back in Boise with our other developments. We came out here and met them. Why don't you kind of tell people, though, how we found these deals, what you do to cultivate these deals, and your overall process when you're saying, okay, here's a deal. What do we need to do to get these things under contract? Yeah, so we really have the, the three main deal sources that we um, cultivate and put a lot of time and energy into. And the first one is off-market leads. So that's direct-to-seller contacts. And what we'll do is our team, our acquisitions team, will compile the whole list of storage facilities in a whole specific target area of a market that we want to invest in. So we'll compile that whole list, then we'll whittle that down, pull out facilities that don't meet our criteria. We'll skip trace those. We'll find out the owner's information. We're calling them, cold calling them, um, emailing them, mailing them, just all out assault to get these owners on the phone, start having conversations with them. And we were able to, to talk with some sellers, direct to seller contacts here on this trip. Um, so that's the main one. That one just takes time. So you just gotta be committed to the long term on that. And it's, it's just a process. So it could take years before some of these um, contacts turn into actual deals that we close on. Um, the second and one of the the best ways that we've been, or the, the way that's been providing the most deals as of late for us, especially when you're looking at a new market that you're not entirely sure on yet, um, is the broker contacts. And they're in that market. They know everyone in that industry, um, if you find a good one. And uh, they're just plugged in. So even if you're not buying a deal from them, just having a conversation with them, asking them their takes on the market. Hey, what do you think? What's your overall, um, where do you see storage in five years in this market? What, uh, what's the past? Can you tell me the history on it? They're just tremendous resources and really help you dial in um, your whole assumption on the market and confirm, or they could you know, um, come back and give you some real good insight and maybe it changes your, your take on things. So. Those two strategies are huge. And then the third one, um, which also played out for us well, was just the network. And Britt helped a ton with that. Um, Instagram influencer over there. But just letting everyone know, hey, we're, we like this market. We're going to be here. We're planning a trip. We're going to be in this city. What do you know? Send me your deals. Tell me, tell me who I need to meet with. Who do I need to see? And those are great because you're relying on your network. You get a warm introduction. Um, so all three of those came to fruition on this trip and took a little bit of planning, but, and it was, uh, it was good. We're excited to keep, keep after it. You know, um, one of the other things that is really important when we're, we're down here and we're looking at deals, it is also crafting our strategy and our message for um, everyone from banks, but to investors. Um, so Brittany, because you're handling a lot of that, why don't you talk about what you're looking for and what you wanna show investors 
so they can understand the deal and help you communicate kind of the vision of the deal with them. Yeah, so I think it's been definitely helpful to be on site, especially because we're able to show them, hey, this is this tangible asset. Here we are. I took some secret recordings even when we were going in doing our secret shopping and showing them this is real. We're at these facilities and there's no one, you know, at the door. <laughs> like we're knocking, there's no one home. And that shows you the management and it's real. It's we're showing you behind the scenes of what's actually going on. So I think that's very helpful for investors to really grasp and understand, especially if you're not from the area, you just don't get it. So it's a little intimidating, maybe investing in a new city, a new area. I've never been there because people like to invest in their backyard. That's what they're used to. But if we're able to really provide every detail and all the information and break the market down, I think that's super helpful for investors. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, when when working with all these components, and it's important to know and I think look at, we're down here, we're thinking all these things through which they're all connected. What are our opportunities? Can we make this work? What do we need to do to execute? If we're ex executing on this certain deal, if we're trying to make this work, how do we communicate that with investors? If we're, if we're creating timeframes and timelines upon closing, what has to get done for that closing? When we go under contract, what are the capital expenditures looking like? Do we have to get people on site to give us quotes, to give us bids? Uh, the first two we did in this area, that was one of the things that Connor did right away. Why don't you talk to them about those two facilities and some of the problems that we knew were there and what you were doing on site when you came, when we came to do our due diligence. I'm uh, sorry, what problems? The, uh, our two facilities and we have to redo the roofs and everything for last time. Not gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so um, it's super important coming into, the, into these things, getting contractors on site to evaluate what's good, what's not good. Um, speaking of network, we had a facility in this similar region here that uh, ended up, I mean, we were on site and somebody reached out to AJ on Instagram and was like, hey, that's in a flood zone. Um, and <laughs> yeah, this is stuff that um, is super important for us to know. Rob and Dubrock, thanks, man. Rob Dubrock, yeah, you're the man. Thanks, man. <laughs> Good looking out for sure. Um, and, and again, these are, these are things that we're constantly learning too. So now what do we look at every time we're looking at a facility? Floodplains, flood zones, what, what's it look like? Um, to make sure that we're not going to, you know, fly out somewhere to look at something and come to find out you can't do anything with it. <laughs> so uh, those are things that we're looking at. Uh, obviously, if we need to have any kind of surveys done, like if we're looking at potential conversions, we're getting contractors out there, engineers out there to evaluate potential issues that we've identified, whether that's, you know, water leaks, whether that's roofs, whether that's foundations. Uh, whether it's existing slabs in a building that need to be uh, cored and scanned to ensure that they meet the per square foot uh, load capacity required for storage, since it's a lot higher than most assets uh, when they're built initially. Uh, there's a lot of these intricacies that uh, you need to be aware of and need to analyze when you're looking at these and uh, have those things as lined up as possible before you're taking your time and effort and resources to go out and really start to dive into these 
these facilities because again you you have this opportunity cost of you know the time and effort and energy that you're spending that your contractors are spending uh, that your network is spending all that stuff on these deals that you're looking at and you want to be able to give yourself and those facilities the best possible chances of success and obviously for the underwriting purposes you need to know and understand what capex is going to look like so in these two facilities that aj is talking about we're looking you know we're talking roof replacements we're talking asphalt we're talking cameras we're talking i mean gate relocations we're talking tons of capex on these facilities but again they still make sense they make a lot of sense in these areas so uh, a lot of upside but again these are both uh, upside in the in the fact that they're operational and physical so there's a lot of upside in, in both areas and um and the more and more we acquire in this area the better it's going to be because we have these flagship facilities that are going to be in this area that will really set the standard for our brand um, and uh, really kind of accomplish that already while we're bringing these other two up to speed uh, which is going to be a huge uh, shot in the arm so you know i i kind of want to talk about that moving forward or uh, what Connor was talking about and how it relates to everything else. When we're on site, we're doing due diligence. The first and foremost thing that we're trying to accomplish is the reduction of risk. We're identifying problems, we're identifying anything that may erode away the fundamentals of the facility, that may destroy the value creators like demand. Um, there's the actual cost part that can just destroy your underwriting through a fundamental if you're this facility that we're at you know you got hundreds of thousands of dollars of capital expenditures if that's not built in and then you have all these problems maybe things that you don't know we talked about everything from uh, a floodplain to the facilities that we have to redo the roofs uh, we were told that they were a totally different kind of roof so yeah, that, yeah, yeah, we, the yeah and the offering yeah. memorandum so that meant our idea of the cost to fix the roofs was completely wrong. They were a totally different type of roof. Um, and if we wouldn't have really understood that because we knew the roofs needed to have work, but we didn't know, we thought they were just metal roofs and we could um, recover the metal lining uh, over the top, which is way cheaper than what we're gonna have to do. So now all of a sudden we're like, oh, wow, this was a massive cost that wasn't expected. And uh, when we're down here on site looking, we're secret shopping, uh, really we're just trying to reduce our overall risk and we're trying to shore up our underwriting to make sure it is what we think. We're testing assumptions and we're looking at the execution of strategy. Um, that we're going to use in the market. So we look at, like Brittany was saying, going to uh, uh, going to facilities, knock on the door, three o'clock in the afternoon, nobody's even there, you can't even get a hold of people. How? What is the degree of expertise of the operators in this market, right? Like, we, where are the rates, where's the quality, but also the operators? How are we gonna compete with them? And the better we understand that, the more confident we are in our execution and the more confident we are through the acquisition. Um, and sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it's disappointing. We've flown to, I've flown all over, but you know, um, we've flown here with us. We've flown to other states, 
that we were super confident about an acquisition. And it was actually, it was a conversion. And we were, it, all the numbers said the right things. Everything said the right things. And we got to the ground and the reality of what was happening didn't line up with the reality that we believed it to be. After we, how long did we work on that? Several months. Several months. Yeah. And flying out there and everything. And we had to pull the plug days before because it wasn't what we thought. It just wasn't the reality. And you can say, oh, well, we're going to move forward on this anyways. We think it'll work out. But the moment some of those fundamentals started eroding, we're like, nope, we, we, we don't do it. And so it's, it's really, really uh, important that your due diligence time frame, um, even before you go under contract, right? You, you get rid of the m biggest items. For us, when we go under contract, our due diligence is simply confirmation and we're trying to make sure that there's nothing we don't know in everything because we're, we're, we're going to close. So if we go under contract, that already means we're ready to close. When we're doing more due diligence, we're talking with the city. Um, we're looking for things that we don't know. And the perfect example of that is the floodplain. That was never disclosed by the owner, by the seller. And all of a sudden, Rob, Rob he sent me a message on Instagram <laughs> We run down to the city, met with the city, and sure enough, we couldn't even touch the facility. Buildings had been burned down. We couldn't even rebuild. So it totaled that. It wasn't worth anything. Um, that's what you're really, you know, that's that's how you get in trouble really, really fast. Um, so these trips are really, really important. This has been a great one. And it confirmed, I, I don't know, I don't know what you guys thought, but they were, it was better than I'd expected coming into it. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. I would agree. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, I hope this was helpful. Um, this is kind of just a behind the scenes. We're sitting here. We've been running around all day. It's midnight here. We've been at sites everywhere. But uh, we just kind of wanted to give you guys a look at what we're doing on the ground and uh, how we look at de deals and evaluate deals. So I hope this was helpful. Thanks, everybody. Thanks a bunch, guys. We'll catch you next time.